0: suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion.
1: Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. It's Thursday and we've got a big, big show for you. We're going to be with you live for the next two hours. As I said, we're in Woodland Hills. This is the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and also the home. For autism live and for the next two hours we're going to be looking at autism from a 360 degree perspective and we're going to be asking you to come on this ride with us and interact with us um, because this entire program is meant to be interactive we want to hear from you we want to know your thoughts your feelings your concerns your questions your epiphanies because uh, I know that you guys have epiphanies and sometimes they help the rest of us if you share so, uh is going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us here on the show while I remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. There's many things to do on that homepage. Um but one of the things that you can do when you get to the, and by the way, we're in the middle of a retool on the website. So, you know, soon, I hope fingers crossed, you're going to start to see some different things and we're going to make it available for you on the homepage to sort through types of videos because we've heard what you guys have said that you'd like and so it's gonna start to look more like that. But in the meantime, uh, right now it's a computer screen and if you click on the computer screen you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show. In the upper left hand corner of that screen is a little memo tab. If you click on that you can watch the 100 most recent episodes all from that homepage. If you wanna go back further in the archives or you do want to search a topic right now, you will need to go to YouTube to do that. We are also available, as Samantha is showing you, on iTunes, Roku, Stitcher, and many other places. Now to the side of the live feature is something we, uh, to the side of where where you can watch the show, the computer screen, is what we call the live feature. That's where you put your cursor in that white box that says your questions. And you type and you hit enter. There is no login. There's no username. There's no password. There's no survey that you have to fill out. Uh, You don't have to give a credit card. It's all free. It's all anonymous unless you choose for it to not be anonymous. And sometimes you guys write and give us an address where you can be written back to. That's fine. I won't share that with the audience at home uh that's our promise to you but in any case it's all free and um but you do have to remember to hit enter and when you do it shows up here on my screen you and I can have a conversation in almost real time there is a little bit of a a delay to it Uh, but I think more important than talking to me you get an opportunity to talk to our experts Um, And I do like to start every show by reminding you that we have wonderful experts that donate their time to come and be on the show, but do not confuse me uh, with the experts, right? I'm an autism mom, I'm a former teacher, and I have a great passion For making sure that we all get the resources and the support that we need in the autism community whether we're parents teachers practitioners individuals who are on the autism spectrum Um, you know there are things that we need to know there are resources that we we need to and and for the individuals who are on the spectrum there are supports that are very individualized what they need it's not one-size-fits-all at all Um, so I have a passion for helping us all to make sure that we get to those resources and that we get the information that we need to be successful at reaching progress. Um, but not an expert, just really passionate about it. I'm learning like everybody else as we go, but not an expert. So don't confuse. Sometimes I, you know, I have a very strident voice as my son, uh, tells me, (laughs) but I, I make it sound like I know everything I don't. Don't know much, in fact, Um, But so don't get confused. Even if I sound adamant about it, I'm not the expert. That's why we have the experts come in, all right? We like to start every morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what does it mean so that we get closer to having some expertise in this field, but it can be overwhelming. So we give you the actual definition and then we make fun of that sometimes, and then we give you a working definition that makes the BCBAs break out into hives. There's some jargon for you already BCBA, but that's not the jargon of the day. The jargon of the day, first time ever, ladies and gentlemen, unveiling it now BCAT. What new jargon? Okay, here we go. This is going to be, I think, really pivotal for all of us to understand what a BCAT is, but it's going to mean we're going to talk more about other jargon. But let's take a look first at what our actual definition for BCAT is. BCAT stands for Board Certified Autism Technician or Technicians. Um, All right. If you haven't heard this term before, it's because it's relatively new. I think this is about almost two years old. Um, And you are going to hear this much much more. So fasten your seatbelts, let's take a look at what our working definition. A BCAT is an autism specific credentialed, uh, it's a credential given after training, experience and a rigorous exam. So um, back in the day, let's do let's do the history lesson, right? History of autism. Back in the day, um, there was no certification for people working in the field of autism. But as ABA became the gold standard of autism treatment, there is something called the BAC- BACB. Um, and they are a credentialing place that uh, created something called the Board Certified Behavior Analyst. These are people who are trained in the field of ABA, but guess what? The field of ABA is not just autism. Autism is a part of it, and it is a growing part of it, But Um, ABA has been around uh, a really long time and they've been using it for lots of different things. We've talked before on the show about how ABA is used in businesses, it's used with Olympic athletes, it's used in senior citizens homes. It's a way, uh, it's been found scientifically proven to be the most effective method of teaching all kinds of people, not just people on the autism spectrum. Um, But it just so happens that when used with people with autism, it's very effective. So the BACB uh, created a credential for a board-certified behavior analyst, and we have been for years telling people if you're going to be working with somebody, you should check to see that the person that is designing your program is a BCBA, right? But what about the people who, that's the person designing the program. What about the people who are actually doing the hands-on, day-to-day, minute-by-minute therapy with a child on the autism spectrum. This has been something that for the last five, no longer than that, I think more than probably eight years has been hotly debated. Um, And it kind of goes in cycles depending on a couple of different things. Funding sources say, hey, if we're going to pay for this, then we want to make sure that it's somebody who actually knows what they're doing. We don't want to pay Joe Schmo from off the street to come in and supposedly do ABA with this kiddo on the autism spectrum that we're paying for, but... mm, does he really know what he's doing we covered a story last week um, about somebody in london claiming that he could cure autism and going into a room with people and yelling at them right nobody wants that right so funding sources have been asking for people to find a way to credential people to actually work in the field of autism aba um doing aba for autism let's say that about it um, and, but then, what about the parents? Parents have been saying, um, "Excuse me, you're bringing somebody into my house. I want to know that they know what they're doing. I want to know that they're trained, and and you know, I want to have some confidence in the fact that my kid is not, you know, the first kid that they've ever dealt with, and this is, you know, all new to them." Um, and and in between, uh, I think you know, states and governments have been looking at this, saying, "We'd like to have some confidence." in recommending to families whether it's for medicaid or other purposes that you know you're going to get this service we want to know that there's a a level of what's happening Um, that we can count on that people are trained and effective. So one of the first things that happened was an RBT, and we've covered that here on the show before. It's a registered behavior technician. And when you are an RBT, that means that you have been trained to understand ABA and how to deliver ABA. And that's a great thing and I encourage parents that are out there and teachers that are out there. It's a 40 hour training that anybody can do and you do take tests, Um, but to become an RBT and that is a credentialed um, thing as well. But the problem with it for ABA for autism is that it wasn't, still wasn't autism specific. Um, So now there is this new credential that is Autism specific, so it is uh, very intensive training in the field of ABA for autism, which is a pretty exciting thing. But it includes other things within that as well. Um, and so first, there's training, and then there's a certain there um, there's an hours requirement of working in the field of autism and being observed and being mentored, and then you have to pass the exam. I can tell you that I have been through almost all of the RBT training. I have been through a significant amount of the BCAT training and I have taken the BCAT exam and passed the BCAT exam. I have not done the prerequisite number of hours to be considered and credentialed as a BCAT um, because I'm here. And I, but I might, I might do it, and I really want to encourage the parents that are watching, well, for, let's, let's back up. Teachers, parents, family members, even people who are on the autism spectrum, uh, I want to encourage you to look at this and say, what would this benefit me if I were to go through this training? Well, first of all, if you're a parent or a teacher, your ability to work with the individual that you care about on the spectrum is going to go through the roof through the roof. Your ability to work with the professionals that are working on that child's case and to communicate them what that child needs aroo the roof, right? You're gonna streamline everything because as you understand and as you're able to follow through, ooh, tight, tight program, there's gonna be good progress. But not only that, if you take the time to get, and I would encourage you to do both, do the RBT and do the BCAT, you are now a credentialed professional and have the ability to work in lots of different scenarios. Um, it's a job skill. It's, it is an amazing job skill that will serve you well. I will be honest that these certifications did not exist when my son was in his intensive ABA, um, and, and here's the other great thing about it is that a lot of this can be done on your own time at home through e-learning, certainly not the hours component of the BCAT, but I, if, if, if things had been different and these had existed when we were doing our intensive uh, behavioral intervention, I would have run not walked, to have, been, uh, to have done these trainings, to have made my son's program better, and to have something to count for it. As it is, I think a lot of us went and did the equivalent and didn't get certified. I'd love to have that certification for the things that I've done. So I want to encourage all of you to be asking questions, first of all, of the people who are working on your cases. Are you, are you BCBAs? Um, are you RBTs? Are you BCATs? Are you working towards that? But I really want to encourage you to get this yourself. Um, I, I can highly recommend uh, iBehavioralTraining.com, the Institute for Behavioral Training, has all of, uh, we've, we talk about this all the time with Dr. Pichet they have trainings for professionals, they have trainings for parents, they have trainings for teachers. Um, But they also have the very specific criteria to become an RBT or to become a BCAT um, To take that training to get ready for to sit for the exam the exam is given I think four times a year four times of the year throughout the year and it's not an easy exam But I passed it so I'm sure that you guys can if you do the coursework that goes before it and really what will happen is the coursework will make you a better parent, make you a better teacher, make you a better person, able to understand other people's behavior. It's worth it. And it's not very expensive at all. The trainings are very inexpensive. It's a lot less than taking one college class. So there you go. B cat. Uh, I know it sounds like a Halloween costume. It's not, it's a very new credential that is going to help insurance companies have faith in the fact that and parents have faith in the fact that the individuals who are working with our kiddos are trained and know their stuff they're professionals it's a really good thing check it out all right moving on we have a question of the day for you Uh, we're gonna get right to it here our question for you today because we're gonna talk about some stuff that's making the top of my head fly off and fly around the room get ready Uh, what autism services should insurance cover now I know you're probably thinking Shannon we answered this question we're done with this we you know we know that autism uh, services should be covered by insurance well in the vast majority of the states here in the United States it is but guess what the the conversation is not over because we don't have it we don't have a federal mandate first of all and second of all within the states all the rules are different state to state and then insurance company to insurance company the rules are different they have something called the temporary insurance codes and some people are covering some things and other insurance companies Are not covering it and here's my question for you should the insurance companies decide what they cover or should someone else mmm great question right but first let's start with what autism services should be covered Uh, a little bit later on in the program as I said the top of my head is gonna fly off and fly around the room Um, next up though we always have a topic for the week Um, it's like it's like a Russian roulette here what is the topic of the week gonna be but Um, this is something we talk about all the time about how the playing field is not level. If you live in Kansas, it's not the same. If you're a parent of a child on the autism spectrum, what services you can get as if you were in Wyoming and it's not the same as if you're in New York or in California. I don't understand why that would be. If somebody can explain that to me, why that makes good sense, I would love, um, to hear someone try to explain that to me. But, you know, I said something on the show yesterday, and then I thought, oh, am I really listening to what I said? Because I was saying, don't wait around for somebody else to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm naming you the person to do it, and I don't remember what the thing was that, oh, to train the police in your uh, neighborhood. And I really thought about that um, last night and was thinking, boy, am I doing my part to make sure that we level the playing field. And am I, am I encouraging all of you to level the playing field because it's going to come from us. I know I've been waiting for someone else, some politician to step up and go, mm, we're going to do this. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I think it's up to us. I think we as the autism community, as parents, as teachers, as individuals who are on the spectrum, we're going to have to step up and we've got to level the playing field. And when I say level the playing field, it means equal opportunities for all individuals who are on the autism spectrum. It doesn't mean that one size fits all, right? And I always go back to that cartoon that I refer to that uh, about the difference between equality and justice, and it shows the three kids sitting there, and there's a, there's a curtain that's up um, that's separating them from a track meet, and it shows equality first, and it shows that one kid is taller, so he can see over the curtain and has a perfect view. And the next kid is a little bit shorter, so the the top of the curtain cuts off his eyeline, so he's missing, he's not able to see everything. And then there's one kiddo who's shorter and he can't see anything. Well, that's equality, Um, and that doesn't work. Equality, mm, right? But then we see a picture of justice. And justice is that the kiddo who can see over and doesn't need any support to see over is standing there and he's not getting any support because he doesn't need any. But the kiddo that it cuts him off at his eye line gets a little bit of a riser so that he can step up on this wooden crate. And once he steps up on that wooden crate, he can see everything. He's got the same opportunities as the kiddo who was taller. And then for the the kiddo who was the shortest, he's got a, a more sizable crate to stand on. But once he does, he now has the vista that everybody else has. That... Is justice, And so when I talk about leveling the playing field, I'm not talking about quality. Um, I'm talking about justice. Let's give everybody the support that they need so that everybody can have an opportunity. That's all that it's about, an opportunity. And we all know it's not that way right now. Um, So we're going to be talking about that, especially in the second hour. Now, uh, today on today's show, we're really excited because in just a minute, we're going to have Nicole Simpson is going to be with us. She is an amazing person working at CARD, working in recruitment. That's right. She's hiring. And we're going to have her talk about the kinds of jobs that they're hiring. But most in particular, we need more therapists in this field of ABA and um, most especially at CARD. And you might be looking for a job or you might know somebody who's looking for a job. And we've all got a band together to make this happen, right? So, cause that's part of how we're gonna level the playing field. And then a little bit later on in the show, we're starting a new segment here on the show. We haven't really come up with a name for it yet, but Uh, We all need legal advice from time to time and it can get very expensive just asking questions to figure out where do I start, how do I do this? So uh, Bonnie Yates, who is an amazing attorney uh, specializing in special education, She's an autism mom with a kiddo who has recovered and we've featured here on this show and they are featured in the, the DVD, Recovered. Uh, she is gonna be with us and each week at the 45-minute the marker in the first hour, she or someone from her law firm will be joining us to answer questions from you guys. We are gonna take the questions ahead of time but you can be writing in each week. So um, that's part of what's going on and then in the second hour, we're really gonna... Pair down what's happening with insurance don't worry i'm not going to make it uh any more boring than it has to be and we'll see if we can't find something reinforcing for you at the end uh all right it's time uh for us to take a short break and then when we come back nicole simpson's going to be here and we're going to talk about jobs in the field of autism get ready get your mental rolodex out so that you can be thinking about who do you know uh that would fit one of these jobs stick with us right back after these messages I'm Candace Cameron Bure. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. You're watching
2: Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're
3: watching Autism Live.
1: I got to do the U-turn around the, the thing? Okay. So, so, Kelby, do I want the north entry or the south, or does it matter? Okay. Are we doing curbside bag check? Which way, Kelby? Left? Yeah. Kelby, can I go through the TV? You the tag. You the go the okay. What do you do that, like, you could just have spend two hours doing and have it suck all your time? Oh, I like to look up research,
3: interesting research articles on animal behavior. <clears throat> Found a really interesting, really interesting uh, European papers on how wolves are different than dogs that I read last week that were very, very interesting.
1: Very cool. Because
3: I've always talked about a brain can be more social-emotional or a brain can be more cognitive. Yeah. And the wolf, turns out, to be more cognitive. And we've bred the dog to be more social-emotional. How fascinating is that? Very, very interesting. the wolves were very good at watching another wolf solve a problem.
1: We were talking a little bit about television before, and I cannot believe that what you said to me, what, what, what you like to watch on television.
3: Star Trek... I was a Star Trek fan when I was a teenager. I liked the Star Trek Next Generation. I was watching that when I was working on my Ph.D. in the 80s.
1: And so what... Total
3: Star Trek fan.
1: What's your favorite series, and what's your favorite character, and what's your favorite uh, episode? Spock
3: was my favorite character. Love it.
1: And uh, what's your favorite episode? This oh, guy is going to hate him.
3: A lot of good. my favorite Star Trek movie was the one with the whales yes yeah, I really mine liked too that Star Trek movie
1: and so sad that we lost Leonard Nimoy this year yeah so you, I didn't know that you like to watch television do you like to go to the movies too oh
3: yeah I went and saw gravity there's certain movies that have to be seen in a theater like yeah. gravity and avatar yeah I wanted to see inside out in the theater I really liked that movie what did you
1: think of that I
3: liked it I think it and I think about how the emotions interact.
1: i got to be honest, I had said after that that I thought that it was going to be a great tool for, for people to show kids on the autism spectrum about perspective-taking, Yeah. about
3: what it's like in other people's heads. Well, no, it's more like how the emotions inside your own head sort of conflict with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the Wizard of Oz, and I love the idea of the wizard, of the Ruby Slippers. She had the way back home. She just didn't know she had it. You see, and I think that's a metaphor for a lot of things. A lot of people have the ruby slippers, but they don't know they have them. They don't know they got the key. They can open up the door to a lot of really
1: great stuff. So what would you say was your ruby slipper?
3: Well, I had, when some opportunities came up, like when I designed those dip vats, um, that was a major uh, breakthrough for my business. Really? And when the head of the feed yard came up to me and asked me if I'd do it, I said, give me three weeks. You know, a lot of people would have been too scared to walk through the door. Now, this is pre-internet, and I knew it would take me three weeks to get some of the information I needed, especially on concrete reinforcement, to design the dip vats. But you did it. I did it. I was on the phone the next day to the USDA to get the drawings on the concrete reinforcement. Wow. So
1: I I wanna journey back to childhood for just a second and talk about friends, because a lot of times people ask about friends. Who was your best friend?
3: When I was in elementary school, one of my best friends was a girl named Eleanor. And she was the first girl in elementary school to get to take wood shop instead of cooking. And I was the second girl in our school to get to take wood shop. So we liked to make stuff. It's all about making stuff. And I had good friends in high school, even though I got bullied and teased, I got friends who shared interests. Riding horses together, doing electronics together, doing model rockets together, doing stuff together with other, um, with other students. So you found, like your mom says, about, found, you found your tribe. Yeah, and you you've got people. to get them in yeah. doing things with other people. And you did a lot of theater, and you, did you
1: sing as a kid?
3: Yeah, I did. I, one of the problems when I was singing is I couldn't synchronize my rhythm with somebody else's rhythm. Do you still different. have a hard time doing that? I still have a hard time doing that. Because
1: we were, we were going to ask you if you wanted to sing something in the car with us. Well, I think maybe we'll skip that. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> but the one question people always ask us is they want to know if you've ever been in love. No, never have.
3: And, and you don't feel like you're missing anything. I've seen so much turmoil in so many marriages that I haven't really seen a situation that would be a good model. And yet you gave me really good marriage advice. Because I'm a good problem solver. You have to like take the problem and cut it down. And in engineering you have to find the root cause of a problem.
1: What do you think is your secret to your success as a teacher?
3: Well, presenting things really clearly. Yeah. That's really important. Making things interesting. Yeah. I think it's also important that it's something in a class that you know a student can take home and use. I teach a class in cattle behavior and handling and I've got a lot of students that are pre-vet that are going to go in the dog and cat, probably won't be handling any cattle. But I said, you want to design this corral system because it's visual problem solving. You have to figure out how to do it. It's not a cookbook. And then I have my internet project where they can pick out anything in animal behavior and I make them dig into a narrow subject that I have to approve because I want them digging into Google Scholar and PubMed Science Direct and the other databases. they got to learn how to find stuff online, and I'm finding about two-thirds of the students are not very good at that. How about this? Make Magazine. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that a lot of kids on the spectrum need to be doing. The cool stuff in here. Really
1: interesting. Make Magazine is going to love that you Make did magazine. that. Make Magazine. That's a wonderful magazine. And i
3: Okay. Yes, <laughs> and they're resurrecting old satellites from Mission Control and an abandoned McDonald's. That's it. the kind of stuff I really like. These are the kind of magazines we need to get the school Make Absolutely. Magazine, Business Week, Science, Nature, Wired. we got to show kids out there. There's all kinds of super interesting yeah. stuff out there. Open but if the they brains. don't see it, then they don't know about it. I like nice. to geek out on construction sites. Oh, yeah. I like to salivate over all the equipment <laughs> they've got that we didn't have, like really cool man lifts and, you know, nice scaffolding. We didn't have any of that stuff. You didn't? No, we didn't. What did you guys have?
1: A, horrid A compass?
3: Horrid ladders <laughs> that were really dangerous <laughs> is what we have.
1: We're gonna get your stuff out. Stuff out yep. Put your out. Oh. We have to get the mic back in you too. Oh you took it off already. You I'm attached to mine. Welcome back to Autism Live. We have a new segment here on the show that we want to bring to you on a weekly basis. We're very excited that um, we're going to be um, having the opportunity to talk about legal issues. So I want to start by reading you a very necessary disclaimer that on this program, we receive a wide variety of legal questions from all over the world. We're happy to have an opportunity to answer them, uh, but we want to remind you of the following caveats, that the individuals that we have that will be on the show offering some legal support are licensed only to practice in the state of California and the federal courts. Their answers, therefore, will not necessarily apply in the other 49 states or outside of the United States. Additionally, um, their legal advice is of a general nature and not intended to be relied upon in any specific case. Therefore, in the case of a specific legal problem that needs an individualized answer, please seek out licensed attorneys in your jurisdiction who are knowledgeable about education law and disability discrimination. We need to make sure that we're upfront about all that. But having said that, I want to welcome to the show Bonnie Yates. She's been on our show before. She is an amazing autism mom. She is uh, someone who is awesome, I know, firsthand in the field of special education law. And Bonnie, welcome back to the show. Tell us the name of your law firm that you are with.
2: Good morning, Shannon. The name of the firm is Kiergy and Chao LLP, and we're based in Culver City,
1: California. And we're so excited and thrilled and and really deeply appreciative to you and to everybody that you work with for donating your time to do this and to help uh, people um, by talking about these important issues. But before we get into our first question, Bonnie, I wondered if you could take just a minute to talk a little bit about your background and, which is part of the reason why I love you so much because you come to this field um, with quite a resume. So talk for just a second about what your background is.
2: Will do. So, so my son Nick was four in 1994, was diagnosed with autism, so I got drafted. I um, was practicing a different kind of law. I started doing some work for CARD, believe it or not, and then branched out into special education more generally. And so I got a very good education at the uh, feet of a lot of the, you know, best autism practitioners in the world and went on to represent many parents in lots of different disputes with lots of different districts in the regional center.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. So we we picked a couple of questions, and of course I'm having all kinds of technical difficulties, Um, but uh, we... um, we picked a couple of questions that we wanted. Do you, do you want to take the question about bullying first, or about um, IEPs and services? Uh, well,
2: let's take them in the order you posed them. Okay. We have time to answer both.
1: Okay, and because I'm still, I've failed you horribly, Bonnie, that I'm having computer problems here. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna, uh, I don't have the question specifically in front of me, but I remember it well enough that I can paraphrase that we have had multiple, we've had multiple people writing in about um, individuals on the spectrum. They're students who are high functioning, um, that they are wanting for them to be in general ed. And we had one parent write in specifically about her daughter, um, that she wants her daughter to be in a general ed setting. But the, because of the school setting, um, the school is not entirely up on inclusion and the idea of inclusion. So they have said that there are only three choices, that the child can be in general ed with absolutely no support, the child can be in general ed with um, an an RSP class uh, uh, where they get support during their elective period um, that is outside of the class to get them caught up on the things that they missed, or, and it is the school's preference, that they move this young woman to a setting that is a special day class that has 15 boys in it uh, and no other girls. And this mom thinks that that is wildly inappropriate for her daughter who has been included um, through all of her years of education. And doesn't think that that kind of a setting would work for her. Um, so she's wanting some advice about um, what, you know, if it's supposed to be an individualized education plan, Uh, And this mom particularly wants to know, does a school have to make a plan to fit her child, or do they get to fit her child into these three programs that they have?
2: Okay, So um, it's a little bit like a law school exam. You know, it's it's, uh, it's, it's almost like somebody wrote the question to purposely illustrate how absurd these disputes with the school district can be or something. So uh, the question is really asking whether the student has a right to an individualized education program and also whether the student has a right to be educated in what's known as the least restrictive environment. There's a preference in the law, wherever possible, for students to be educated with non-disabled peers to the greatest extent possible, as long as it's not too disruptive for the class. So this particular mom, so she's from Southern California, so if we look at it under you know, California law, um, what we clearly see is that there is this right to an individualized education uh, plan, and there is a right to be educated in the least restrictive environment. Now, sometimes what happens is people don't realize that that right, the right to be in the least restrictive environment, um, means that if you need support and services to be successful in the classroom, you're entitled to them if the alternative would be instead that you had to be educated in a special day class. So it's illegal for the district to put her in a special day class just in order to avoid the cost of a one-to-one aide or a skilled behaviorist. Um, and so, you know, part of the analysis would be, um, you know, whether a group of fifteen autistic boys. Uh, as classmates in a special ed class would be the least restrictive environment and obviously it would not be as long as she can uh, function successfully in the general ed class with support and part of the reason there's this preference for the least restrictive environment is the notion is that she would really benefit all students would benefit from modeling the behavior of, of neurotypical peers and you're less likely to get that if you're in a special day class But we see these cases all the time where the fight is about what, you know, really needs to be done so the student can be included in the least restrictive environment. And districts usually have to be, you know, told that, A, I know what my rights are, and B, I'm going to insist that my daughter can be successful if we give her proper support. And then I just kind of wanted to close by saying there are a lot of resources on the Internet now for parents that, that do a very good job of discussing these basic concepts. I wanted to mention, too. One is called Rights Law, W-R-I-G-H-T-S-L-A-W, and that's a kind of a multi-jurisdictional um, um, source of information that that talks a lot about these different, you know, education problems as they come up. And that, that you know, this one would be one of them. The other is something that's uh, particular to California, it's put out by um, um, a disability rights organization. It's called Student Rights and Responsibilities, and it's a great book. It's basically an online series of questions about, um, you know, what do I do if or is it correct that, and I found it to be really well written and, um, and sophisticated too, but not um, inaccessible at all, so I highly recommend that, and that's how I'd answer the first question,
1: Shannon. Well, I love that. I love that answer. It's, I, I know firsthand that sometimes when you're sitting and talking to a school district, that they speak with such authority about well here are the programs that we have and it all sounds reasonable and thank you for reminding us that it is called an individualized education plan and that that's what our kiddos have a right to and that we have a right to to say back to the school district I know what my rights are and um and and that is what our children are entitled to so thank you so much for that answer i want to move on to the the bullying question Um, that we had a mom write in and talk specifically about the fact that her child who has um, an autism spectrum diagnosis is coming home and saying that there are children um, that are bullying him at school and that when she goes back and talks to the teacher about it that the teacher says that she's not seeing it and if she can't see it then she can't do anything about it I know um, that a lot of us are concerned about bullying and um, that we hear all the time from schools that there is a zero tolerance, but this is not the first time that I've heard a parent say that when the teacher says, oh, well, I didn't see it, it's as if it didn't happen. So help us to know what, what do we do and, and what are our legal rights in this circumstance?
2: Okay, you take a stab at that. So it's a tough situation. My son was bullied mercilessly all through high school, junior high school, well, middle school, excuse me, and high school. And I was kind of perplexed, too, because it did not go on in his classroom. It often went out on outside, you know, after school, walking home, whatever. But one day, the kids did it in front of me. And I thought, if they're so, you know, emboldened that they will do it in front of me, it must be bad. So the answer to the question is, you know, there's a – consciousness raising that's been going on in the last, you know, 10 years about bullying and, you know, people like me really didn't understand then that even if it wasn't occurring in front of the teacher or in front of the staff, that there were still things I could do. So there is kind of this increased awareness about bullying, but there's also an increased definition of what constitutes bullying, and it doesn't have to be an aggressive, affirmative act. It can be an ignoring, an excluding, you know, uh, that happens a lot too. So um, anti-bullying laws and, and policies apply across the board um, in the classroom to all students, you know, both both uh, regular and special ed students. And now, because there's been so much litigation and, and everybody also has heard about cyberbullying, which I'm not going to talk about now, but it's sort of an extension of the, of the campus bullying, most districts will have a written policy in their code of conduct. And... We think all the districts should be doing this, but some districts are actually taking it seriously rather than just paying lip service to the idea of taking it seriously. And those districts are doing campus-wide sensitivity training to impart in the other students the notion that you have a duty to prevent bullying if you see it going on. You, you know, you need to talk back, basically. So um, that would be in the better districts. And what you can do is go into your, um, your districts Um, website and look at the code of conduct and that will give you some ideas about what the district policy is on bullying but the short answer is that there's something called a Williams complaint which you file with your school superintendent and put the school superintendent on notice you can also file a complaint these should all be written complaints with the Department of Education in your state and then the final thing is you can file a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights. You have to make sure you do that within 180 days of the incident. All three, District, State, and Office of Civil Rights should investigate. They should issue written findings, and they should let you know what happens with your investigation. So even if you are only hearing about the bullying from your child and nobody else is reporting it, you don't have to take it sitting down. Now. In terms of the legality of, of bullying or uh, the possibility of filing a lawsuit, you should be aware that there's different types of bullying, and those and those types of bullying have different statutes of limitations. So if you're serious about this, you want to have an attorney consult early on so you can protect your rights. Because some of the bullying um, has only a six-month statute of limitations, whereas if you are saying, my child didn't get a free appropriate public education because he was bullied. That's subject to the um, normal two-year statute limitations in California. So I just wanted to end by saying most, most attorneys that do either uh, education law work or disability discrimination uh, routinely have clients in for an initial consultation, and that consultation is free of charge. And I would really encourage parents to reach out and get that education. I think it'll help them a lot in terms of how to deal with the situation on the ground at school. And I just wanted to leave you with a couple of resources for that. Usually your uh, State Department of Education will have a list of uh, education attorneys that you can contact in your state. And then there's a great organization. It's called Council of Parents, Attorneys, and Advocates. It's abbreviated copaa.net. And they're for the 50 states and they they would also have list of attorneys that you could contact so you know you don't have to just suck it up you can you know be proactive on behalf of your child and it's really not just for you it's for the entire education community you know we all want to go to school in an environment that feels safe to us so um, that's how i would approach that problem
1: man thank you so much that's such useful information and uh stuff that i i don't think i've heard any place else bonnie um so we thank you so much for taking the time to be with us i'm i'm gonna love this segment i want to remind everybody that if they're watching that they can write in their questions. We like to get the questions well in advance so that um, Bonnie and the team of lawyers that she works with has an opportunity to look at them and respond um, you know, to you appropriately and have some time to turn it over and think about uh, resources to be able to give you. And um, this, this is a wonderful, wonderful service uh, that you're providing to everybody. Uh, tell them again the name of the law firm. Sure, first
2: of all, we ask these questions because we need to, you know, we need to be remembering about these things too. We get very tunnel vision with our specific problems. The firm is called Hirji H I R J I and Chau C H A U L L P, and we're in Culver City.
1: And is do you guys have a website that we can send them to if they want to get more yes. information or or yes. have a consultation?
2: Yes. yes, we do. We absolutely do. And you can also give us a call uh, if you want to.
1: Okay. Do you know the website off the top of your head? I should have asked you. Uh, if they
2: just Google the name Rosa, R-O-S-A, here, G-H-I-R-J-I, they will find it. We're kind of redoing the website, so I'm okay. not sure which page it's in. And then the phone number is 310-391-0330, and um, we love to talk to parents.
1: Fabulous. Bonnie, thank you so much for all the work that you have done. I, I You know, I have to say personally that... You have helped me on several occasions to make sure that my son got a free, appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment, and you've made a tremendous difference in our lives, and I know you have in so many other people's lives, and I'm thrilled that we're having an opportunity to do this because I know that this is going to help people in untold ways. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you for that, Shannon, and right back at you.
1: Well... I will, I will talk to you soon, and, and thank you also for your amazing children, um, because you do have amazing children, more than one.
2: <laughs> I, I agree. I'm not going to dispute that. There we go. Thank you. Love that. Have a great All right, thank okay. you.
1: You have a great week, and we'll, we'll be in touch uh, to about next week.
2: Sounds
1: good. Take care. Bye-bye.
4: When Maddie was diagnosed, I'll be honest, I was very ignorant on what autism was. I knew that autism was basically something that hit boys at the age of two to three and shut down. And with Maddie, she was doing all the same signs and symptoms as a typical child with autism spectrum disorder. Stand up! I was thinking that we might be moving somewhere so that people could assist us either in the house or us going to see our daughter because she was shutting down to a point that. She wouldn't even recognize you being there by putting your hand in her face and yelling her name.
5: She didn't even acknowledge us coming into the room. She had barely any eye contact. She didn't interact with her sisters. She didn't really do anything. She just basically lined up her toys and that was about it. With have eight volunteers, including my husband and I, and I'm the team leader, and so I do all the curriculum and, and get everything ready each week.
4: Jana was downstairs until 11 o'clock at night working on curriculum going through two different textbooks.
5: Oh, wow. Look, who's
4: that? And then we as a group meet on Monday nights and we would go through what the curriculum was from Jana and a lot of times we would go, well, how exactly do you do that? How do you sit her at the table and, and do this trial based? Yes! What Skills has done for us, it's taken that away from Jana trying to figure out the curriculum for one. She can go down, or on our, even on our laptop, and she can sit down and through all these questions, it comes up with the different programs.
5: At least for me, it was a relief off my shoulders. I was worried that I might be missing a curriculum that maybe she needs to know, where the skills, they have every every possible thing your child needs to know from zero to seven. They have a program for that. What noise is this?
1: Yeah. Ah, good job.
5: Every program that we did with her I knew it was specific for what she needed to learn. Because before skills, it was a lot of, okay, well, is that really age-appropriate for a two-year-old? You know, because it's not generalized. It's anywhere from zero to seven. This is what your child needs to know in most, in most manuals you'll find. But for this, okay, yep, she should be learning this. And no, she's not four yet. She doesn't need to know that yet.
4: We are so fortunate that Jana was able to attend a conference put on by card, that opened the door for skills, and that um, there's no looking back for us.
5: We started using the program in November, and it seemed like by January, something just clicked, and she has completely kind of came out of her fog that she was in for quite a while.
4: I have never read a documented case on any child that has not benefited anything from applied behavior analysis and uh, now with this new skills and being, you know, like the e-version of ABA, I can't imagine that it doing anything harmful to their child. It, it's nothing but exponential growth for us.
5: To see her now, it, is, it just blows us away. I mean, we call her our little miracle child because in seven months' time, she's just blossomed into this normal functioning child.
4: She is developing roundly, she is socializing, she's playing with her peers, she's learning from her peers. It's very joyous.
5: Maddie, can you tell me what you see outside? No. Snow?
4: If you're even thinking about doing it, do it. Because the absolute worst thing you can do is do nothing at all. And even if you use this program and it's just a single mom or a single dad working in the evenings with their child, this program is going to benefit them. It's going to show you where they are, it's going to show you where they need to go, and it's going to show you what skills and how to get there. It is an online book on how to help recover your child.
1: Parent, you might be asking yourself, How on earth can I afford ABA therapy for my child? Well, the short answer is you can't. No one can. It's really expensive and it's overwhelming to most families. But the story doesn't end there, fortunately. The first thing that I want you to think about is tapping insurance resources. So many insurance companies are paying for ABA therapy right now. So that's your first best bet. Make sure and see if your insurance company is providing benefits for ABA therapy and check back often. Now, if you see that you don't have insurance right now for ABA, don't panic, there are still other resources. The next place to go is to your local support groups and ask them what local resources there are. That's a great place to ask for information because often states and even counties have support for ABA. And then beyond that, you might consider applying for grants. There are many fabulous grants out there to help you to get support for your ABA therapy but most important it's it's absolutely essential that you get aba services for your child we know that that's essential for all of our children and that you won't be able to do it on your own so seek out those services and support groups that will help you to fund your aba journey it's really important to remember that all behaviors happen for a reason you know every thursday we try to take a couple of minutes to talk about mindfulness how we can be more mindful. And the the purpose, really, for me, for um, and looking at it from a point of view as a member of the autism community about why do we want to be more mindful? Well, we're all entitled to live the best life that we can lead, and we know that that comes uh, when we have less stress, right? None of us wants to be so stressed that you can bounce a quarter off of your head, right? Um, and by the way it isn't just the parents in the autism community we want to reduce the stress on everybody in the autism community the people working with individuals on the spectrum and the people who are the individuals with the autism spectrum diagnosis themselves and everybody in between let's all be happier and lead happier more fulfilled lives that have less stress in them right we know it's medically better for us to have less stress so one of I'm, today I'm going to depart just a little bit. We've talked a little bit about meditation and breathing and those kinds of things and the way to focus our mind on one thing to be in the moment and how important that is. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the dreamier side of things. And um, some people call this a magic trick. I don't know about that, but we know um, through studies that have been done, that what you focus attention on is ultimately what usually has the most movement. Um, so, and there are lots of different phrases that go along with this. I love Abraham Lincoln said that most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. I'm, I'm, uh, murdering the quote slightly, but you know what I mean? So what you focus on, what you look and see, Um, is what you're going to notice I I, uh, particularly love in my life the phrase about you know what you think becomes what you say becomes what you are so and and other people say you know change your mind change the world those kinds of things so if you were to say for yourself um, for today like what would you like to see happen Um, And it can be something that's personal for you. It could be something that's personal for your child. It could be something that's global for the world. You know, you can think big, small, or anything in between, right? But what's something that you would like to see? And if you take just a moment in your mindfulness moment to breathe and to focus on that. Now, some people are visual, so um, they can, bring up a screen in their mind and they can picture it in their mind. Other people struggle with that. And for those people, they like to put a picture in front of them um, that represents whatever that thing is. And that's perfectly acceptable, but it means just taking a minute in your day and focusing on whatever that thing is. And then first of all, you want to check how do you feel at the end of focusing on that thing? So let's say, that what you said is what I, I want a million dollars, right? I want, I want a million dollars. So you picture, um, in your mind, a million dollars. Um, but you might find that there's like a part of your brain that rejects that. Uh, because like a, a thought will come up in your head about well you know I don't want to just like if you're picturing money on a table well, I don't just want money on the table because how am I going to get that money to the bank and I'm going to get robbed on the way right if your head starts bringing up negative thoughts hone your picture to something else don't get into a discussion and an argument with yourself about well, but you know, I'm sure I can, with a million dollars, I can rent an armored car, right? Um, Don't get into that discussion, just hone your picture. So maybe instead of having the discussion, you picture, you know, the million dollars in the armored car, whatever it is. Um, But just take a minute in your day to picture that thing. So here's the weird and wonky thing is that they have done studies on this kind of thing. And they've found that um, a lot of times people are able to manifest the thing that they focus on. Uh, now, you know, I know that I know I just lost some of you are like, well, if I sit and picture a million dollars every day, a million dollars isn't going to just show up and I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But if it's something that you really deeply care about, and I think what you'll find is if you keep picturing a million dollars, at some point you'll go, oh man, I don't really want the million dollars. I want what it feels like. I want the freedom of what a million dollars feels like. I don't want all the trouble that comes with a million dollars. I want to feel that feeling of, you know, oh, being able to give. And then you find yourself picturing giving, and then you find yourself thinking, Wow, Well, some of that I can actually do, and then you find yourself giving more. Do you see what i 'm saying so it isn 't that it 's the magic trick that you just think about it, and it shows up, but if it, what it is what it does do is when you really figure out the thing that sings to you that you find yourself when you picture it, you feel better and you feel like it 's easier to breathe, and when you 're done thinking about it for a minute you 're happy. And if you think about whatever that thing is on a regular basis you will feel yourself starting to take action that little tiny actions that help you to get to that thing and that sometimes obstacles go by the wayside to help you to get to that thing that's where the magic trick is is that sometimes obstacles melt away but let's face it it always takes some action but Paralysis is something that comes hand in hand with stress. And sometimes if we don't know what to do or what we want, we get paralyzed. So I'm asking you to take a minute today. Think about something that you'd like to see show up in your life. Think about it for a minute, just a minute. And um, again, either visualize it in your head or get a picture that represents it to look at. Um, Quietly center your breath, spend a minute, and then take stock at the end of that minute. How do I feel? Do I need to change my picture? Is this really the thing I want to spend a minute on? Because if you truly, if it is the thing, you're going to want to spend another minute on it. And then once you find the thing that you want to spend the time really taking a meditative moment on, uh, take note over a week about what changes and what gets out of your way and if you get more excited. It's really a powerful, powerful thing kind of like a magic trick, but not in the way people think it is. It's not just going to show up, but things rearrange in your head and it starts to feel impossible. That is a powerful, mindful way to be. We're out of time, but until the next time, give your kiddos a hug from me, and one's for you too. two, two. Bye-bye.